0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom and welcome to Aisha Torah, uh, Practical Spirituality, here in the Old City of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. And we're just opening today with a quick thought of the, uh, the of moving to Israel because uh, a gentleman in this classroom has uh, just moved to Israel officially. We can clap for him. Yeah. And um, and so. When you, when you move to Israel, it's, it's a, uh, it, there's two ways you can do it. Because we learned from the 12 spies that came into Israel on a reconnaissance mission that you can come here to see how you're going to do it. And then there's a, the way the 10 spies that created all kinds of havoc that we're still suffering till this day for, was, crea- was figuring out if you can do it. If you come to Israel trying to figure out if you can move to Israel... Israel grows pointed ears and fangs. It will look so disastrous, it will, it will look like a place you could never make it. Literally, it will look like a place where you just will never make it. And gee, wasn't life easier where I'm from? you know? And if, on the other hand, you come like Joshua, Joshua and, and Kalev, who were the other two spies who came to check out the land, They were just coming to see how they would do it. Just seeing how they would do it. It's not like God who just decimated, you know, 40 years ago, the biggest civilization in history without one Jew even lifting a finger. The biggest civilization of Israel was leveled into rubble by the God of Israel. You think you you can't handle moving into a land that was promised by that same God? Like, it's not going to be a big problem. It's fine to go into the land and check out how you'll do it, but not if you can do it. But somehow those ten spies came with the wrong intentions. And because they had the wrong intentions, as I said, the land grew pointed ears and fangs, and they came back with a bad report saying that, well, we can't do it. We just The, the cities are fortified, the armies are strong, it's seven different nations, they're vicious, and they are um, dangerous, and and we just cannot do it. And the Jewish people cried all night that night, and that became the night of tears called Tisha B'Av, where the Jewish people cry every year in the summertime uh, on the 9th of Av, where that year has become a day of crying ever since. And the, the te- both first and second temples were destroyed on that day. And it just became this eternal... Calamity and what was the big deal? The big deal was that that all the Jews, not all the Jews, the women didn't. By the way, gotta leave it for those uh, women. The the women uh, did not believe the spies. Only the men believed it, and the men got freed. I mean, I guess and somewhat explainable why the men, because they were the ones who would have to fight. But but the um, but in the end, the men cried throughout the night. Oh, poor us! And then the and that became like their curse because they all every man that cried that night had to die in the desert they were not going to make it into the land of Israel and they spent the next you know that, that's why by the one of the reasons we were in the desert for 40 years is we had to wait till they died once they had all died that whole generation of men had died so then we could go into the land who were going in the land with all the kids who were there at that time all the ladies that were there at that time all the elderly and all the people who didn't cry Got to live to see. Obviously, Joshua and Caleb got to go in the land, and the uh, anyone who didn't buy it got to go into the land. Who didn't buy the, uh, you know, the this report? Now, by the way, it wasn't an inaccurate report. It was formidable. It was it was probably impossible to conquer the land. They probably, they probably knew what they were saying, and they were right that it would be on any physical level impossible. So it wasn't like they were lying. They weren't like. Trying to mess everybody up. They were being realists, but, but, um, but to quote Shimon Peres, which I almost I don't think ever have, uh, maybe once or twice in my life, so I shouldn't say never. But to quote Shimon Peres, um, he said that anyone who, and maybe it wasn't Shimon Peres. <laughs> 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 By the way, this is Aviva. She's in charge of when things are funny and even, and even when they're not. Okay. Um, anyway, but the, wor- the words... And one of our prime ministers said it. I don't, I don't remember. Anyone who doesn't believe in miracle. Oh, anyone in Israel who doesn't believe in miracles is not a realist. <laughs> you understand? Those spies were realists, and they didn't come into the land. Okay, the, Joshua and Caleb who said, Yeah, it's going to be rough, but God could do this. They, were, they believed in miracles, and they were the realists. They were the true realist, because the true realist knows that. By the way, you know this in your own life. All of us know this in your own life. You know, Have you ever gone hungry in your life? Have you ever gone hungry? Yeah, I'm actually hungry. <laughs> I don't think you understood that very well. There's being hungry, and then there's going hungry. You've never gone hungry like for days of hunger. Like scraping things out of cans and garbage garbage dumpsters and stuff. That never happened to you, did it? No. Okay, but now I'm gonna ask you to answer a question honestly. You ever worried about your parnassa? Like in your life, like how it's gonna be and what's gonna happen and are you gonna be okay? I mean yeah. Yeah. Yes, I have worried about my livelihood. Well, listen, if you had been if you had been as a child bit by a cat which I know cats don't bite people, but they scratch people. But let's just say you got bit by a cat. Now I asked you, are you afraid of cats? And you, if you were to say yes, well, that would be understandable because you've had an experience of having been bit by a cat. So perhaps that would make sense to be a little afraid of cats. But for a woman who's never gone hungry to spend any time worrying about her food and where she's her livelihood will come from when it's never, ever been a problem. So... The uh, so that would be called a non-realist. Now who meaning you're not real. You're you're in, you're you're partially crazy, but don't worry. Watch this. Everyone raise your hands if you would have wound up in the same boat. Raise your hands if you would have wound up. In the, the whole room. I'm just picking on you. Everybody else have, everyone else. You know, and I myself, I have to admit, there are times which is like just if you knew my. If you watch my bank account, you'd really say that's crazy. But, but the, um, but I myself have wondered how I'm going to make it, how I gonna, and I got eight kids, so I've already married two off, which is amazing. Six to go. Okay, I got quite an exit plan. Now, when you have that many kids, you need an exit plan. Yeah, no thirty-eight-year-old long-haired guy smoking pot in his baby boy room, watching. You know, playing a, uh, you know, kill em videos, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> have? not happening. When you have eight kids, man, you need an exit plan. Which is very good for the kids. Because that means, because if you're good, you're the one marrying them off. Well, if you're marrying off your children, so then you must take good care of them. So you have good, how do you say Merchandise. You have to have good merchandise. You understand, your kids run wild, nobody wants them. <laughs> so now you're stuck. You, got a, you, you, got, you had a great entry plan, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Everyone loves that mitzvah And your entry plan was no big deal, but your exit plan stinks. So you need to take very good care of those kids, keep a strong eye on them. That's why, that's why the, um, um, the a son-in-law in Yiddish is called Adim. You know why? because they're witnesses their testimony what are they testimony their testimony that the father took care of his daughters and made sure they didn't wind up you know thrown to the wolves <laughs> Aviva that was supposed to be a pregnant pause oh, yeah no yeah I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, give it like a Trump kind of that, you know. <laughs> That'll mean it's not a laugher. Okay, <laughs> so, well, just watch my right hand. So, anyway, um, but there, the the groom of a, meaning I have two men so far that have joined my family by marrying my daughters, and they're they're called testimony. Literally, I, call, I'm, they're called that. Like someone will tell me, "I saw your testimony today," or, or I said, "Has anyone seen my testimony in this shul?" You know, five hundred people in there. You know, they're called testimony because they're testimony that we took care of our daughters, both before as the you know the as saleable merchandise, not that we sell them, and and then uh, but meaning they were they were they were kept. Pure enough that someone would want to marry them, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then the other is the, the other is the testimony that we didn't just leave them waiting and hanging around. You know, like how are you supposed to marry yourself up? I mean, it's <laughs> basically impossible. Hey, this is my next daughter in line. Hey. How you doing? Hey. Welcome. Uh, let's hey. find you. See, see next to this lady here. Is that your stuff? I'm sure? you hey, Yeah, you'd be starting to wonder, right? No, I have three boys. I have three boys. Yeah, I got a few boys. One's in Europe. Ran out of money. He's he's, he's really... He's singing in a choir for the high holidays in Budapest. But he took a little trip to Vienna and he found it to be cold there and didn't have enough clothes, so... He, he send me a little SOS to WhatsApp. to WhatsApp him. No, You're, by the way, we're going to be sending money on WhatsApp like this year. Cash what? Yeah, WhatsApp's going cash now. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what is it called? Venmo? Fast Track, Venmo, Fast track. whatever. Zell. <laughs> Zell. Yeah. He needed a little dough to buy some warmer clothes. Oh, no, nah, he's with his whole gang of boys over there. Oh. The the choir the choir boys. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about choir boys in Europe right now. That's a, that's a, a very charged subject. you know. But th- These choir boys are all in their 20s, and they're just Hasidic kids with rental cars and free food and hotel rooms for the next 10 days, so watch out. Yeah. So I don't think there's going to be any beer left in Budapest by the time they're out of there. Now, um, anyway... So the amazing thing is that God's been totally taking care of you all these years. And not only you, but everyone. What do you think? You're like some, like, some like, uh, set-up crowd that I brought in? That are like <laughs> the people who God perfectly took care of every year? <laughs> God's been perfectly taking care of everyone every year. And, 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 the, and the wild thing is, is once you really meet, when you meet someone who actually did go hungry, You've met a teacher. You've been there. You met you met a teacher. Now you met a teacher. And tell me, are you not a teacher? I am a teacher. That's what I'm saying. We got one guy who went hungry, and now he's a teacher. And I'll tell you, m- I know how to get out of it. Though, so. Very nice. And you can teach another how to do that. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, I, these eyes have my own eyes. These eyes, I know they look a little cat scratched from uh, maybe some sad times. But really, most of the cat scratch on my eyes are from staring into the afternoon sun every single afternoon for 12. years are straight. Because wow. when you surf on the West Coast, the sun sets on your face for hours and hours. Cold salt water and squinting into the sun just trying to make out the waves. You know, which you may not think is a very big deal, but when the waves are, you know, 20 feet high, you're really trying to Make them out so you don't wind up in trouble, <laughs> and so I did that every day for twelve years straight, every single afternoon, almost without exception. And uh, and that's how. By the way, I have two brothers older than me; one's six years older, one's three years older than me. No matter where we went, once I had been doing that enough years, everywhere we went, they were sure I was the oldest of of my brothers. So it's like here I'm twenty years old; I got a twenty six year old brother, and the, everyone just thinks I'm. Older than him, because of all, all those years staring into the sun, but the uh, but that also has a little bit to do with his maturity. Okay, he's fifty-six now, and if you invite him to a house party, he'll be playing with the kids, you know, like like throwing them into the swimming pool and stuff, and, and <laughs> all kinds of other things like that. He's he's one of these people that just never grew up, and but my kids love him because it's a lot of fun. He's here usually every poor which is great. Hi, ladies. Table for two is is all I can offer you. Sorry to put you right in front. That's just the brakes. One of you can go around me. So anyway, um, where was I at? I forget where I was at. I'm not asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so the spies. Yeah, our job is never to see if we can make it. Our job is just to watch, just to watch and, be, and sh- watch and shut up. Watch and shut up. That's what the time just quoting the Torah. It says you'll see, and then it says vatem tacharishun, and you will be silent. Well, t- in two thousand and nineteen, what's a better way of saying you'll be silent? Shut up. <laughs> Which doesn't mean just shutting up your mouth. You got to shut up your mind. That worries. The mind that worries. You know, here you've been so cared for all these years. How dare you worry? And, and you know it's embarrassing in front of God. We all have to be deeply embarrassed in front of God. How you doing? Welcome. Shalom. There's a seat right there. Yeah, just move your stuff. We all have to be embarrassed in front of God because the... Um, Because here, God's like totally got your back all these years, but totally. And that's embarrassing to have doubt that He's going to get your back moving forward. It's pretty embarrassing. And so, you know, it's a little weird that we even do that. Maybe it's built in. Maybe it's not. Maybe we shouldn't be embarrassed. Maybe it's built in. You know, like every animal's hardwired for its survival. Maybe that's just our instinct. Like, we're just hardwired for survival. And God won't be so much upset that we worry about our our well-being because we're hardwired to worry about these things. Could be. So then it makes me think about, like, we're also hardwired for reproduction. And that you better worry about. You know, we got to, like... That you can't just sit down and watch it happen. All right, there, it doesn't say shut up. There, it says, go find a, a spouse, and and more important than finding a spouse is making sure you're someone worth marrying. Because I mean, for most people in this room, no offense—I mean, you all seem like lovely people—but anyone who would want to marry you should be slapped. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, you just, uh, many of you just aren't really marriage material, you know. (laughs) You will be, but only if you say you're not, you know. I mean, why punish some person with you, you know. You know, everyone knows their stuff, you know your stuff. Uh, We got a girl engaged back here. Yeah, She goes. Yeah, but you know deep down what he's getting himself into, and I happen to know him a lot better than I know you, by the way. And uh, and you know, you know deep down what you're getting him into, and and he himself, and he himself, you know, bless him for turning a blind eye, you know, <laughs> bless him for totally ignoring what he may be getting himself into because he's not sure exactly. But, um, yeah, what's up? What yes. are the minimum requirements? Minimum requirements. I <laughs> didn't Yeah, thank you. Sorry, that got left open. Yeah. Minimum requirements? Oh, yeah, just now someone came. Yeah, how you doing? There's a seat right there in the, next to the dude in black. So, yeah. So that the minimum requirements, That's funny. He's asking about minimum requirements. Does anyone know the minimum requirements? Alive? (laughs) You know. what? He said alive. Did you mean that as a joke? Uh, Part of your age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a minimum requirement should be like some sort of stability. Stability? Like emotional or financial? Like both. Stability. Yeah, stability is... Because how are you going to partner up with someone if you're, like, uh non-balanced? Because then it just makes a whole rocky ship. I think that uh, stability is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's an absolute requirement. Um, Like, my wife, for example, she married a very unstable man. (laughs) I'm a more spiritual type, which means, you know, my my emotional... uh, Moves are like, it looks a lot like a heartbeat monitor. Yeah, like I move around a lot. Spiritual people tend to have large fluctuations. Serious, why serious amplitudes. What? Why do you say that? You mean, how do I know that? I don't know why you say that. Why, well, I don't know. Explain, explain. Yeah, I, I've studied quite a bit about this stuff. Mm-hmm. and the, uh, I've also um, found that the more, sp- I'm, I'm here receiving thousands of people a year for 28 years like, I haven't budged for 28 years from this spot so I get to meet a lot a lot of people and, and there was a time where we were really meeting a lot a lot a lot of people and I always found that the more spiritual the person the bigger the amplitudes that that person would be dealing with anyway so she married a very spiritual person she also married someone who hasn't a clue uh, Rabbi this is your seat right here I'm seating people Uh, She doesn't have a clue. She didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue how I was going to make a living. And so we spent our first seven years in... We spent our first seven years in two rooms. When I say two rooms, there was a little room with a table where we could eat and, of course, put as many guests as possible in there. And then we had another little room which had a bed for us. Or no... And then... We had a partition, an accordion partition between us and the kids. In that room, that you know, didn't even have a wall. You know, it was just an accordion partition about that high, and we lived that way for seven years. So there was nothing stable. The only, thing, the only thing stable was our faith in God, and that was more stable than anything else. Our faith in God was very stable. And that was the stability. So, I would say the minimum requirement is faith in God <laughs> and the uh the other thing that'd be really good is uh is i don't I'm not going to go on and on about this, but the other thing that'd be really good in uh get married is to take off that backpack there's a guy coming here's a spot for you right here in the middle. The other thing that'd be really good is to just careful not to bump the table is to um is to have your stuff in order, meaning your your crazy stuff. <laughs> like your <the> maturity? <laughs> that would be uh, something worth working on. Yeah. Um, so so maturity is probably an important thing. Um, anyway, but you, you just want your stuff worked out. That's all. Now, some of you are looking at me like, how am I supposed to get all my stuff worked out? So the way you get your stuff worked out is by... Um, Allowing a professional to introduce great chaos. Allowing a professional, what's up? Standing remotely now. You can just stand if you want. You want to allow someone who's a like a world-class professional. Ready for this? Listen carefully. You want to allow someone who's a world-class professional, <laughs> like a serious professional. to introduce such an intense amount of chaos into your life till you're shaken your, your very foundations of reality are shaken and when you've been properly shaken what will happen is a lot of your mishugas a lot of your craziness will shake off and then uh, and you, after that experience, whatever that experience will be, you'll be so desperate for order. So you, you've been so badly shaken that you will, uh, by the way, this is not for anyone who has any slight propensity towards schizophrenia um, to have this level of intense shakeups. Um, but, but after the shakeup, <coughs> what will happen, you'll be desperate for order out of that chaos. Because chaos and order, like you can only take so much chaos. But you want to take enough chaos that you've fallen apart entirely. And then you'll be desperate to reorder your life. And you'll notice something amazing, that when you reorder your life, a lot of your craziness, meaning the stupid stuff that that's not fair to marry someone with, or raise children with, will no longer be part of your order. You will have shaken it from the order of your life. See, your issue and why it's why you're a liability to marry is because you have a lot of your craziness within the order of your life. And human beings are very philosophical, so you've created a whole, a, a whole world of why it's like that. But those whys are what hold it in place. Meaning you've created a giant narrative that's a whole mythology around your craziness, around what a liability you are. But somehow you being crazy and a total liability with a bunch of reasons why... Makes all the sense in the world to you. Like, it's explainable. Like, as long as you can explain it to a therapist, you're off the hook. (laughs) And someone has to marry it. Someone has to marry it. The other option is to have the highly discomfortable experience of having someone who knows what they're doing introduce a tremendous amount of chaos into your system, shake you to your foundations. Get you completely lost. <laughs> and once you're totally lost, you can now spring back to order because you're just, as I said before, you'll be desperate to get order back in your life. And you'll notice just during the shakeup that the stuff that's sto- the stories you've been stuck in are no longer worth telling. You just won't be interested in those stories anymore. And this is why, for example, I don't trust people who don't drink alcohol. <laughs> no, because they're the ultimate expression of someone who's taken themselves too damn seriously, and they're they're probably really rough to be in a family with, or to be the child of, or to be married to, or you know, they're really in some narrative, and they're stuck in there big time. And why do you think why do you think God commands us every Shabbat on our holy day that you first quaff a glass of wine before anything happens? You know, you literally like, you come back from synagogue and you quaff a cup of alcohol. But I know people who will drink grape juice and think they're somehow getting away with that. And then no one gets away with that. Our our sages did not say drink juice. Okay? <laughs> our sages said drink wine and learn to laugh at yourself and loosen, shake off that, shake off the. This outer crust of, of garbage that that nobody wants or needs, and, and especially you, especially you. I mean, think about it. Forget the fact that you're a liability to your spouse. Who are you the biggest liability to? Yourself. Yourself. <laughs> like you have to. Do you realize you live with yourself all the time? You ever notice that? Yeah. Like you can't get away from it. It's crazy. You can't get away from it. Like your spouse, you know, they could at least go to work. You know, they could at least get out from you. You know, there is a way out. And uh, you, good luck getting out of you. You know, that's why I'm saying I recommend that, you know, go to a highly trained professional. Have you ever tried mushrooms? Out of body. Out of body. So so the um there are substances that shake off unwanted order like that those are the um, th- things like like psychedelic plant medicines and other compounds are are considered the the most you know at least something you can ingest that would cause that kind of shake up all those would cause that kind of shake up. now the um I wish I could offer you all a seminar. I, I myself lead seminars like this. That's why I'm talking about it with authority because I've been doing it for 18 years. I have 8,000 graduates. But I, my next seminar is in New York. I have uh, I have one in New York City. Uh, I don't even know when. The 10th. Yeah, because someone someone actually sent me an email just now. I won in New York City on the 10th. Of, what's the month after this one? 10th of November. And I have one what's going to be the following Sunday the 17th if the 10th is Sunday does that make the next one the 17th yes thank you the 17th in a place called Muncie New York up in the woods up there the sticks and then and you know what not the following week which will be the 21st but the 28th of November I have a program for men it'll be men and women in Muncie only men in Brooklyn Men and women in Muncie, separate, obviously. And then uh, Jerusalem's going to be on the 28th. Is that a Sunday, maybe? November 28th? How am I doing my math? But I've got a men's seminar, November 28th. You're doing pretty good with your math. Thank you very much, Aviva. Appreciate that. Okay, back to us. So maybe we are off the hook because we are hardwired for survival. And maybe you do need it. For getting married, you got to get to work on that. (laughs) For your survival, you can just watch. There's not much you got to do for your own survival. You know, you can you can really start. No offense, but you can start skipping meals. Yeah. (laughs) Like, i don't think you really need to eat as much as you 've been eating you can you can, like, you can already like start skipping them okay like, I skip probably at least a meal i, I don't know my daughter's here. How many meals do I skip a day maybe you <laughs> 'd be very proud of me. I had a tuna fish sandwich today, and it was only because the guy I was meeting was late, so I said i 'm going to do something that would make my wife and daughters proud and I went to a store and bought a tuna fish sandwich. So anyway, but it, it, just eat like, just eat what keeps your body alive. That's it. Give your body a break. You know, starve it of, starve your body a little. Especially some of those stuff, things that people are eating today, um, could be actually causing our harm. And there are even diets for people who have cancer. God forbid, that um, they starve the cancer out. I forget what it was. there's one food they particularly avoid. I forget what it was. Sugar and well, fats. Sugar and fats. In the Sh- sugar fats. And fat. Water fasting, <laughs> but you can literally you can literally starve those mutant, you know, rebellious cells in the body. And uh, anyway, so, but a good way to maintain your health is just kind of skip meals a bit here and there, and drink water and take take keep a good eye on your body that you're that you're just giving it the foods at once and also before you eat hold the food a moment and ask yourself the question not how much you want it in your mouth just ask yourself how much do I want this in my body how much I want this taken a little hotel room for the next day yeah I mean you don't I don't just let anyone come over to my house and sleep over <laughs> you know it's we're going to think it through whether you're invited to sleep over you know the, so so, but maybe you should hold food in the future and say, "What is this How much I want this in my body?" Everyone try that? Everyone raise your right hand, pretend there's a piece of food in there, and say together, "How much do I want this in my body?" Yeah, you didn't do it. That's all right. Let's try it again. One, two, three. How much do I want this in my body?" Because you are what you eat, and that thing's going to become you. And, and by the way, I think you should eat a lot. A lot. uh, Meaning, a lot of things, just in very little quantity. Like, for example, I mean, think about it. If you are what you eat, and there's a piece of... there's There's a little bird. And it somehow winds up lucky enough to get slaughtered and eaten by me. Yeah? So, now, that bird, you know, I don't know what you call a bird. Helen... Florence, I don't know what you call it, bird. So the um, anyway, but little Helen over there has become Rabbi Yom Tov. Because once she's digested and now in my bones and my blood and my arteries and my and my my organs and like that chicken's become meat. You know and, and now I'm doing mitzvahs and'm and or I'm singing songs on Shabbos. I mean that bird before all it could do was you know what do, what birds, what do chickens make noise with yeah now now it's like you know yeah so it's the birds now singing songs to God it's singing songs to God like that's what you want to do with that bird. Now, how much do you think you have to eat of the bird to get it singing? <laughs> the answer? answer is, like, one little bite of the bird. Take one little bite of the bird. I think you could probably get a piece of salmon singing just by poking it. Yeah? <laughs> nah, you just, you poke it and put a little in. Salmon's good good food, although you got to don't want to overeat it because of mercury and stuff but the but the definitely a piece of salmon a little piece of chicken raise up get you can get your vegetation singing too like eat an apple today and next thing you know your apple's praying to god you know because you gonna be using that that those simple sugars are going to go right into your bloodstream and you're going to go pray and and uh, you maybe go to the western wall after you eat your apple I would even think about maybe saving an apple just for the Western Wall and eat it right before you go and then let it let its juices pray to God through you. But this is how Jews actually, you should know, this is how Jews historically saw themselves. We saw ourselves as as conduits as as conduits to God that that by us fixing, and, and we're really fixing that food. I mean, first we're making sure if it was grown in Israel that it's been tithed properly. Otherwise it's like eating pork. And what is the difference between eating an untithed celery stick? I Meaning it wasn't portioned out to the Kohen, the priest and the Levite, the Levi, or the poor. you got to tithe this stuff, but what is the difference between a celery stick and a piece of pork? Meaning an untied celery stick. If you didn't separate out the other little portion that goes to the gifts, by the way, there's only produce grown in Israel. But if you didn't tithe it out, what's the difference between that and a piece of pork? (laughs) You're basically eating pork. And then next time you think like, oh, why do they have to have, why do they have to have uh, kosher certificates on a vegetable stand? You know, people just see that they have no idea what's going on. But the answer is because we don't eat pork. And we want to make sure the meat we eat is from kosher animals and slaughtered properly. And we also want to make sure our vegetation was tithed properly. <laughs> it was always funny when you get a Shabbos guest and he comes in with a bag full of fruit. He's like, Here you go. And we're just kind of like holding the bag full of fruit. We're like, Where did you buy this? And he's like, What does it matter? And we're like, <laughs> and you have to understand if it's untied, you can't even move it so you're going to have to stand there the rest of Shabbos really? no, you can drop it <laughs> <laughs> squish <laughs> it happens to us like once or twice a year someone comes with a bag of fruit from like God knows where you know and they themselves have no idea where they get to figure out why they're getting interrogated you know you bring a gift and you get 20 questions wine also you got to be careful with wine so thank God we live here thank God we're here now regarding your livelihood yeah you got to do something but you don't you don't have to do much but with marriage, you got to do a lot to, to get to be marriage marriageable. There, you got to push hard. These are two instincts that we have: survival, and reproduction, and and uh, when it comes to marriage, you got to be like super diligent. Super diligent. When it comes to earning a living, since God never let you down, He probably is not going to and lastly is if you want the blessing of the land of Israel is is if you come into this land Shmuel I'm back to your honor now because you made Aliyah if you come into this land if you come into this land as a full commitment so you know just to hear God you know Shmuel just to to hear God and um, you will be blessed You'll be blessed financially. And whatever you have is what you need. And you'll be just perfect. God does keep the Israeli society, unless you're in high tech, he does keep Israeli society pretty... <laughs> he keeps us pretty close to the bone here, is Meaning God keeps us pretty close to the bone. and uh, But that's a good thing. Most people don't survive well. I've just officially, like... Stopped being mean to wealthy people because I realized it was coming from a, it wasn't coming from a good place. Um, I was being a little rough with wealthy people, and um, I finally realized that I was having my own reaction, you know, from my capitalist father, you know, and and uh, kind of taking it out on wealthy people. But wealthy people are people too. But what I have discovered is that some of my best friends are wealthy, so. Um, what I have found, though, is that wealthy people are some of the loneliest people, and they're they're also some of the most um, uh, fearful, and um, their trust level's very low, and when your trust level's low, you have no currency for relationship, and you know, the currency of relationship, like the actual current, is trust. You all know that, I mean... You You'll notice you only open your heart with someone as much as you can trust them. And, uh, they have, I think they've been on one too many exclusive vacations. What's the word "exclusive" come from? The word comes from the word Exclude. "exclude." Yeah, you gotta pay to play in those circles. But after a while, you find yourself in your own padded cell. And some of these people even wind up. I've dealt with many of them that sadly have wound up with social. Uh, social anxiety in a, pretty big, in a pretty big way like to the point of pathology almost and, uh, and so God keeps the nation of Israel pretty close to the bone and it keeps us honest most people don't do too well with wealth it's probably been the worst thing that ever happened to the Jewish people you know we've survived thousands of years of poverty as a nation as a tribe that was true to its ancestral heritage but, you know, after World War II, when all that wealth hit American Jewry, European Jewry, the, um, you know, we've already had, we've already had six million Jews. The amount killed in the Holocaust, we've already had six million Jews as of ten years ago disappear from calling themselves Jewish on the U.S. Census. You understand that as many died in the Holocaust have already disappeared from this census. And I'm not saying we can blame that all on wealth, but it was a player big time because the American dream is about wealth and the American dream is the Jewish nightmare and one of the beauties of living in the land of Israel is, is God gives each person it's like manna, like each family gets the right amount outside their door you know like the Jews in the desert everyone wound up with the right amount outside their door and it really works that way but it really works that way and you'll see strange things you'll like, for example, uh, what's your name? Mark. Mark. you'll be making more than anybody in your neighborhood one day, and you'll still wind up with nothing at the end of the year. And But you're, <laughs> you might have eaten nicer foods, I don't know. But, you know, and the guy next to you also wound up with whatever he needed. And he made a fraction, and you both wound up with, like, everything equaled zero at the end. God just makes it happen that way. Keeps you honest, keeps you real, and you're still engaged with the world and the people around you. And our nation stays united. There's no no such thing as exclusive here. And if there is something exclusive, I, I get nauseous. I just had I had a student get married in a very exclusive wedding two weeks ago, and I was just like, and they live the guys the bouncers at the door of the wedding I'm invited to like literally looked me up and down where about to bounce me. <laughs> but behind me, my wife's a little short, so they didn't see, like, right behind me, at, waiting at the door. She just filed in right behind me was my wife, like, totally decked out. And they were just like, they looked at me, and they're like, you know, they were. you could see he was already reaching for, like, a, uh, a uh, taser gun or something, you know. Let's just tase him before he even thinks to come into this wedding, you know. And then they see my wife, and they're, they're just like, um, go right ahead you can go to, to me, you can go too. You can escort her. So that that kind of stuff makes me ill. I'm Yisrael. Hi. Shana Tova. Oh, sorry. It's Thursday. I always forget this. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.